So I'm going to spend 35 minutes talking, and then we've got 10 minutes for a Q&A. I think it'd be great to have some interaction uh, on all of that. So the subject that uh, PJ has asked me to speak about is confidence in physical healing. Just some uh, caveats. This isn't the only thing I do, nor do I consider myself an expert in this area, but I am going to be fairly bold in what I share. Confidence in healing or that God will heal is a bit of a misnomer for me simply because healing doesn't always happen. So I don't know if I'm confident in healing, but we are growing in our confidence in God and in his willingness to heal. And we are growing in our own experience of healings taking place. It'd be very easy for me to spend uh, these minutes with you just reading emails of people who have sent me testimonies of their incredible healings. So let me just begin by reading a few which have stood the test of time. And don't be phased by the fact that it says, oh, Lex prayed for me here or there. My purpose in reading these testimonies is not that you might think that somehow it's coming through me, but that this is a, a, a real experience. I'm not a theorist. I'm wanting us to move forward in this Direction. So this is from a, a young mother in Jubilee, her own church. She writes, for nine years since the birth of my first child, I've been having a problem with my bladder, especially at night. After every 15 minutes of sleep, I constantly needed to go to the bathroom. And this has been disturbing my sleep to a point that I ended up keeping a chamber pot in my room as I often had to go to the bathroom and lose sleep. Lex started his sermon by asking those who needed healing to come forward which they did, but I did not. He then asked people to open their hands as if receiving. And at that moment, while standing at my seat, I heard the Holy Spirit telling me that I actually needed healing. I denied it. I mean, this is an amazing thing, isn't it? I denied it. And uh, he reminded me. And actually, at that moment, I needed to go to the bathroom. And then I realized what God meant. But still, I wouldn't put my hands up because I did not believe that God does heal. Lex then started, this is someone who was converted in Jubilee and has been part of Jubilee for ages. Um, Lex then started praying for those who were at the front and I opened my hands and asked God to do his thing. At that moment, I felt a sharp pain right below my belly and I knew that God meant business with me. I shifted my standing positions in testing and was so shocked that I no longer had the need to go to the bathroom at that moment in doubt. which I put in bold here in my notes. In doubt, I ran to the bathroom and nothing was there. Not that the universe had disappeared and she was just staring out into an empty space, but she couldn't go. So uh, I needed to be sure 100% that I was healed. The afternoon came and went, but I needed to be more sure that I was healed. I slept like a baby for a whole week. Today it's week two and I've not woken up at night since. I've been a Christian for seven years. I've led small groups I've prayed for people to be healed, but I've never really believed that it works. This has been an obstacle in my Christian faith, but it all came to an end during that front edge weekend. I followed up with her after I received the email, and then I checked up with her again six months later. And then a year later, I checked again, and I promised I wouldn't keep every year asking her if she was still okay, but she was still totally healed in an instant by the power of the Holy Spirit. This uh, chap is called Peter Williamson. He's from Haywards Heath in Sussex in England. 
Uh, this was an amazing healing. It happened in a second um, similar kind of thing. <coughs> he writes, yes, nobody is more amazed than me. I've heard so many times of people being healed, but I'd never met anyone that has been healed from a serious medical injury that in black and white proved to be damaged and was now back to normal. Last April, I went skiing and I had a bad fall. An MRI scan at the hospital showed that both cruciate ligaments, which will never repair without surgery, and the inner ligament of my right knee had all severed. I uh, have found it very difficult to walk up and down stairs. Bending my knee to any extent was virtually impossible. I was unable to run, kick a football, even kneel on my right knee. I was really despondent. I was walking with a very noticeable limp. I began to accept the situation as it was, and I just put up with it. But God had other ideas. Lex was speaking over that weekend, and I asked him if he would pray for my knee. This was at the end of the meeting. I'm tired. I've preached. We've had people responding for salvation. It's a gospel meeting. I just want a cup of tea. No one brings you a cup of tea at the end of these meetings, but you're surrounded by people. I was tired, and I just kind of, uh, this guy then asked me. So he knelt down. He cupped my knee in his hands, and he demanded in Jesus' name that it be healed. My knee felt odd, even on the way back from church. When I got home... I had the urge to try and run up the stairs. We're trying to help him not to obey all those urges. But anyway, I had the urge to try and run up the stairs, which I did, and then to run back down again. It was easy without pain. I then proceeded to go into the garden and kick the children's football around, and I finished it off by hopping on what was my bad knee. There was no doubt that I had been healed. Following this tremendous, amazing outcome, I've amazed people by being able to run on a treadmill What the doctors said would take an operation and nine months on crutches, God did in five seconds. My life is so much easier. I can use my knee as I used to. It's fantastic. Well, in terms of follow-up, Pete continued to see his physio, who declared both knees were now normal. I don't know if he's had a further MRI, MRI scan, but I was in a meeting two years later. I didn't know this would happen. When he got up publicly and testified to the healing, still completely healed, I met him again six years after this healing moment, and he was still completely healed. Hannah Pryor, this is from Bristol, and this was from a church email that they sent out three months after this healing took place, and the subject line was, Amazing Healing from Celiacs. Some of you may remember that during one of the Lex Loisides meetings last autumn, Hannah Pryor in Hope Church was healed of Celiacs. She sent this email around last week, which I thought you might like to read, and then quotes from her email. Hello, everyone. I've had some very exciting news today. My blood test for celiacs that I had taken on the 10th of December came back negative, which means God has completely healed me. Actually, just verifies, but means God has completely healed me. For those of you who are not quite aware of my story, I was diagnosed with celiacs in July 2004. I've been seeing a consultant for it ever since. That was until I was prayed for nine weeks ago, and I've been able to eat normally ever since. So this blood test is just confirmation of the miracle I think the receptionist was a bit baffled by how excited I was to receive a blood test result. And I told her the story really quickly in case she stopped me. Isn't God amazing? And then lastly, um, this is uh, from Vimpy Mostert. Uh, This happened uh, in The Hague in the Netherlands. Uh, And uh, basically at the end of the meeting, there was a few people at the front of the meeting. And there's this massive South African bloke, looked like a rugby player, and he's sobbing absolutely sobbing. And I began talking with him and he kind of blubbed out that he thought he'd been healed. And and then he sent me this email a little while ago. The last weekend in February of 2011, I was in a massive car accident just outside Kroonstadt in South Africa. I was very fortunate to survive. 
I was in ICU for about a week and had some pretty nasty injuries. If you need to be, a, if you need to, if you need a touch of God in your body right now, why don't you just ask Him now? So let this be a faith exchange rather than just hearing stories. Father, I pray that you would stretch out your hand and perform signs and wonders in the name of your servant Jesus. I pray you would touch us, Lord, even in this moment. I was in ICU for about a week and had some pretty nasty injuries, and here they are. I broke a couple of ribs. I don't know if that's a South African couple, which is five, uh, or an English couple, which is two. I I broke a couple of ribs. I tore all my rib muscles. I broke my chest bone. My lung was punctured. I tore my groin muscle. I tore my knee ligaments, and I broke my leg just below the knee. I also had a very bad concussion. A five-day holiday in South Africa turned into a very painful nine weeks. For the first four to five months, I couldn't walk properly. Up until the week before your visit, I was in constant pain. On the morning of your sermon, I was in quite a bit of pain. It was a really difficult day. When you started praying, I was standing, and my leg and my chest were killing me. I was basically just standing on my left leg because the right one was in too much pain. When you said you'd like to pray for healing, I thought, I have nothing to lose, and I just stuck out my arms. When you said that you have to receive the healing or something to that effect, the weirdest feeling ever filled me. I didn't have a clue what was happening, but I knew something big happened. I tried to step on the right leg, and it felt seriously weird. I stood on that leg, and it felt completely abnormal because there was no more pain. I even stood just on the right leg and absolutely nothing. Then I started feeling my chest, and once again, there was no more pain. I was completely freaked out. I went to the front after the service, and I honestly had no words. All I could say was, I think I was just healed, and I cried my eyes out. I was standing there, and I couldn't believe what had happened. I was seriously doubting what had just happened. I thought that I was just making this all up in my head because I was so desperate, I was imagining this. I do a bit of rugby coaching, and of course, this was a real struggle. After training session, I'd be completely drained from just walking and standing. The week before this healing, a player accidentally touched me on my ribs whilst I was explaining something, and I almost cried because of the pain. After the healing, I was at training on the Tuesday, and I decided to give it a go and train with the players for a while. It went so well that I ended up running and training with them for almost an hour and a half. I almost threw up because I'm so unfit, but absolutely no more pain. My brain is still not big enough to understand what happened, but I thank God for it, and I still struggle to put into words what happened or how it happened, (coughs) but I know (coughs) that it was God that healed me, and I cannot put into words how grateful and overjoyed I am. Now, I met him both a year after that healing, and he was still good. Two years later, still fine. He's now moved back to South Africa, where he's taken over his father-in-law's construction company, and his He and his now wife are going to be joining the Jubilee City plant into Cape Town. And he's still completely healed. It's fantastic. God can do it. So, amen. This is, this is, it's so obviously not us when it's God. Um, So confidence in healing the sick. Two points, why and how. First of all, why, and I'm racing through all of this. Why can we have confidence? Why could we, why should we have confidence in praying for the sick. I think a debate about cessationism or continuationism isn't a necessary place to start on this particular issue. Not because it's a debate that isn't won easily from a biblical point of view, but simply because it's not essential to this 
issue. Every Christian believes that God answers prayer. Even the most strict and particular hyper-Calvinist believes that God can intervene. Otherwise, his prayer before sermon is unbelief. Uh, Even committed sensationists uh, believe that God can still do miracles. So, for example, if you read Walter Chantry or even uh, Charismatic Chaos, you know, the guys who are committed cessationists still assert that God can do miracles. So it's not really an issue of cessationism for me. For me, I would start with the character of God. That's where it starts for me. When God raises the subject of healing, he makes it an issue of his character, not seasons or times or critical moments in salvation history. In Exodus 15, God tells Moses and the people that he would not punish them with the diseases that fell upon the Egyptians because, quote, I, the Lord, am your healer. In other words, he takes this business of healing to himself. I am your healer. This is an expression of my character. This is who I am. This is not a temporary strategy to gain the attention of Jew or Gentile. This comes from me. I, the Lord, am your healer. Now, the people of Israel already knew God as a worker of miracles before Exodus 15, obviously. Exodus 15, 11, in fact, says, Who is like you, O Lord, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? And therefore, for the writers in the Old Testament and the psalmists and so on, God's willingness to heal is a logical deduction from the fact that he is a healing God. His self-revelation as a healing God means that phrases like we read in Psalm 103, for example, are almost inevitable. Praise the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. So the first point for me is the character of God. We can have confidence in praying for the sick because unless God's changed, we're we're in good stead. I, the Lord, am your healer. This is coming from me to you. Secondly, the practices and the commands of Jesus. And I need to be brief, but just to say, uh, this may challenge you, but in terms of our Christology, we have a weird, unbalanced view of Jesus if we don't realize that a major part of what he did was supernaturally heal people of their sicknesses. We have a weird imbalanced view of Jesus if we don't recognize and acknowledge and uh, illustrate from his own life and ministry that a major part of what Jesus did was supernaturally heal people of their sicknesses. Someone said that following Jesus in the gospel, you're either following him on the way to a healing, actually watching him perform a healing, or coming back from a healing. Just some verses to illustrate this. Matthew 4, 23 You know these verses. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Not just teaching, teaching and healing. Mark 1.33, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Luke 7.21, at that time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight I think the NASB says, granted sight to many who were blind. Matthew 12, 15, <coughs> again, many followed him and he healed them all. That's a very brief kind of overview of 
healing ministry in, in Jesus, as Jesus' uh, example uh, of healing ministry for us. Thirdly, the example of the early church. The fact that there were reported or few reported healings outside the Catholic tradition in the Middle Ages or outside the Pentecostal tradition in the early 20th century doesn't discount for us what Scripture says and what Scripture promises. Jesus clearly taught his disciples to heal the sick. I quite like what G.K. Chesterton says about miracles. He says this, the most incredible thing about miracles is that they happen. (laughs) Jesus taught his disciples to heal the sick. Did you know heal the sick is a Christian command, like love your neighbor? Heal the sick. What? Heal the sick. He created an expectation that such ministry would continue following his death, resurrection, and ascension. (laughs) For example, Matthew 10, he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Again, later in Matthew 10, Jesus said, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. There's teaching. Heal the sick. That's a challenging one. Not quite as challenging as the next phrase. Raise the dead. Okay, Lord. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. And then this lovely phrase that we turned into a little Sunday school hymn, freely you have received, freely give. The context for freely, freely you have received. Free. Any, any of you remember that? You should. I wasn't in Sunday school. I was lost. Anyway. The context, you didn't sing about the context. The context is heal the sick. That's the context. Freely you receive, freely give. John 14, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. Anyone who believes in me or who is believing in me will do what I have been doing. And the context about doing their works is miracles, if you look at it in John 14. James 5, amazing verse. 15, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Maybe we need to meditate on some of these verses and get them into our spirit. The prayer offered in faith, or the prayer of faith, literally, uh, will, will make the sick person well. And yet, not apart from God's activity, the Lord will raise him up. Um, And, of course, they had remarkable success. So a couple of statements from the book of Acts 5.12. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly, regularly done. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And a little later, the Jerusalem church almost becomes like a center for healing in the same way as Jesus attracted people who brought those who needed help. Uh, Verse 16 The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed, kind of same level of success. The church had the same level of success in this area as Jesus did. One other observation, um, what I'm calling supernatural apologetics. If you take apologetics as evidence to support what we believe, what we see in Scripture with that definition of apologetics is a lot of supernatural apologetics. How does God in Scripture endorse his message? How does God in Scripture establish his authority? Well, think about it. Moses. 
signs, plagues, miracles. Elijah. Elijah reasserts his or orthodox or he reasserts for Israel orthodoxy by taking 12 stones and kind of rebuilding an altar. That's he's saying. I am representing orthodox faith in the true God, in the real God, the Lord who is God. But how did did God validate that orthodoxy? How did God demonstrate to the people that, that actually Elijah did represent the Lord who is God? Well, at the risk of sounding like a Pentecostal, the fire fell! I don't know if that's how Pentecostals sound. (laughs) I I mean, I'm imagining that that's how... I'm not a Pentecostal, so excuse me if you came from a Pentecostal background and I didn't do that right. But anyway, but the fire fell. Huh? Yeah, okay, whatever that means. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, Jesus, signs. Read the Gospel of John. Signs. That's why Nicodemus... Why did Nicodemus, Israel's teacher... Pharisee of Pharisees, knew the word inside. Why did he come? What made him seek Jesus? What made him come after Jesus? Well, he said, you know, no one could do these signs unless God, the signs, no one could do these works, these miracles, unless God were with him. And Jesus himself, if you're not convinced by me just saying it, Jesus said himself, the works that I do in my Father's name testify or bear witness about me. So there's this kind of supernatural apologetics going on In Scripture, Hebrews 2, verses 3 and 4, these great verses. This salvation, first announced by the Lord, confirmed to us by those who heard him. Yep, that is the right message. But then there's this next layer that really kind of helped the breakthroughs taking place. God also testified. Oh, okay, so it's not just us saying this is the gospel. This salvation first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard it. God also testified to it. How? By signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Paul makes a similar argument in 1 Corinthians 12 when he said you used to follow dumb idols. Why does he say that? Well, this is, this is how God speaks. And he goes through the gifts of the, of the Spirit. God testified. And... Uh, if you're interested in pursuing that further, I've got a whole paper on supernatural apologetics. So I'm happy to email it to you if you want to read it. So why should we grow in confidence? One, God connects the practice of healing to his own character. His willingness to heal is connected to who he is rather than to periods of salvation history. Second, because of Jesus' practice and clear instruction to his disciples. Third, the example of the early church. Fourth, because acts of power seem to be the way that God chooses to authenticate his message. Paul broadly calls that demonstrations of the Spirit's power. I say broadly because I know that includes conviction of sin, conversion happening, lives changed, but it also definitely embraces the things we're talking about now. So that's why. How? I've split this into two sections. So preparatory, how can I grow in confidence? Just some advice, take it or leave it. First of all, study Jesus. Study Jesus. So what I did, I did a close reading of Mark, um, just asking the question. I wasn't looking for anything else. Just asking the question, what did he do that actually led to people being healed? What did he actually do? It's a very interesting study. And I would commend it to you. Find your own answers in there. 
what did Jesus actually, what did he say? How did he behave? What, what, you know, what was the context? What did he actually do to get people healed? And I found that very, very instructive, and I'll come, on, I'll come back to that in a second. Secondly, I would suggest that you study the subject. It's very important as pastors that we actually read and listen to people that we don't necessarily agree with on everything because our people are reading and listening to other, other, other voices, particularly on a subject like this, when they are in need. And so, you know, people can suddenly lean towards a belief that you think, what? Where, where did that come from? Because when you're sick, you, you're desperate. You want to get healed. So I think it's important that we become students of the subject as well. Learn what's being taught, what you can take on board, what you disagree with. Read those who are engaging with this ministry or who, you know, are experiencing this ministry. Thirdly, uh, just to uh, give us some relief, you don't have to copy what others are doing, even if they're doing it successfully or it's working. We, we are called to imitate faith, not necessarily accents or volume levels or style of clothing or the kind of surrounding ethos of the man of God. You know, you don't need someone to carry your Bible and all of that. Sorry, Riggs, I don't know why I was looking at you when I said that. I didn't... That was, that was just me looking that way, that's all. So, I mean, one of the, isn't one of the saddest sights to see a preacher who's clearly copying the style, the voice, the language of another preacher? I think it's really sad. Um, and it's the same in this arena, too. On the plus side, though, our imitation of our wanting to imitate faith may mean committing ourselves to fasting uh, or, and to praying more particularly into this area. And um, I would encourage you. I don't understand why fasting works, but I, I, I know from experience that it does. So I guess my best thing is I'm saying to God, this issue, whatever the issue is, is more important than my hunger right now. And, you know, whether I'm praying a lot over that period, I mean, I've got friends in India who've done, you know, regular 21-day, 40-day fasts. The way we are structured... Certainly at Jubilee, I mean, I, I, I would probably die. I'd keel over quite quickly if I tried to do a full fast like that. So <laughs> I've tended to do on certain days through certain years and try and hit a certain number of days in a year where I know. But the, it's not even just, there is a discipline with all of these things, but it's not just tallying things up and ticking them off. Somehow fasting works. And so there you have it, if that was helpful. Uh, so... So just do it, I suppose, is the thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, and because it's in the Bible. Some questions. Uh, so one says, but hold on, people need healing teaching first. So the classic Pentecostal faith type version of this is, you're already, you've already been healed at the cross by stripes you were healed. So thank God that you're already healed. Declare that you are healed and then wait for the manifestation. Now, I've written a detailed rebuttal of that position. I'll give you the link for it later. But I actually don't think that's necessary. Uh, I don't even think that's uh, accurate. But in the New Testament, no teaching preceding a healing moment seemed to be necessary. 
For example, in Acts 3, there's this lame beggar who, who, who says to Peter and John, they're about to go into the temple, and he asks them for money. And Peter says, look at us. And the man, it says, he gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, for what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Wow. Then, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet, that's where the healing happened, and ankles became strong, and he jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. That's incredible. No teaching in advance, no awareness even what's going to happen here. Peter just says, in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. And then he helps him up, and the guy is amazingly healed. Just a side issue. All the Christian alternatives would have been appropriate in that moment. They would all have been good. He could have said, excellent, we, we want to help you. We've, we're starting a soup kitchen, and here's two vouchers or three for the next few days, and, and, and it'll give you practical food. That, that would have been a good Or we are actually right now in the business of lobbying government to try and help proje- provide some kind of shelters and places. That would have been good. Or, hey, what you really need is to do a Bible study with us on God's sovereignty and how God's sovereignty can carry you through the suffering that you're in. That would have been a perfectly acceptable alternative. Or he could have said, okay, silver and gold, I have none, but John's loaded. And, uh, <laughs> and he's going to just nip back. We're going to sort you out. That, that would have been <laughs> perfectly. Or he could have said, in the Jerusalem church, we're building a health center. Now, we've done this as a local church. We're putting a health center so that you will get the kind of proper care. You'd, or or you could have said, actually, first of all, you really need to know who Jesus is. That he died on the cross for your sins and he's alive again from the dead. That would have been like an obvious, he doesn't know. Peter instinctively, he's not really processing this. Instinctively, he says, I don't have money. I'll give you what I know I have. I'll give you what I know I have in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up. Why? Why was his knee-jerk reaction that? I'll tell you why. He'd been with Jesus. He'd been with Jesus for three years, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so even though all the Christian alternatives are there, and they're all good, and we should do every single one of them, especially recommending our rich friends to give money to the poor, we should do all of those things. But we're missing this bit. This bit that Peter knew that he had and that he could give, that's why we're doing this session. God, help us, help us to grow so that this instinctive, I've been with Jesus for three years, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, walk. And uh, so one says teaching, another says, but surely forgiveness first or conversion first. And then healing. And I'm not denying that in some pastoral situations, of course, physical healing does follow a person's release from unforgiveness. But it's not necessarily the case in Scripture. Take the man at the pool of Bethesda, John chapter 5. Uh, you remember he's sitting there. He's got this superstitious hope that the waters will be stirred up by some angel or something like that. Verse 4 isn't in the text. But, you know, he's got this superstitious hope that it'll happen. Jesus just walks over and says, get up. Do you want to get well? And then he says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. The man's cured. He walks off. He carries his mat like Jesus said. It was the Sabbath. The Pharisees then get involved. They said, who 
who, who told you to do, why are you doing this? You're breaking the Sabbath. He says, but the man who cured me told me to pick up my mat and walk. They aren't saying, wow, amazing miracle. Who is this man? They say, who is this man who told you to, to do this work on the Sabbath? And it says in the text, the man who was healed had no idea. It suddenly dawns on him, oh, I haven't got a clue who it was who told me to pick up my man and walk. I just did what he told me because Jesus had slipped away. Again, it's, <laughs> it's, there's not a lot of advanced teaching before the moment of healing comes. He's not forgiveness, not conversion. Now, later Jesus finds him at the temple and he follows him up in that sense and gives him some lifestyle advice and so on. But it wasn't necessary for the healing. Another one says, you've got to get the atmosphere right. You know, the meeting's got to be just right. And obviously, leading people to a place of faith is important. We'll talk about that. Um, but Mark 3, you know, I won't read it, but the, the story is the guy with the withered arm. The Pharisees are there. They're waiting to see if Jesus will heal on the Sabbath. And, of course, he does. Uh, but he, first of all, he calls the man to the front of the meeting. He, he calls him forward. The guy goes forward. Jesus is angry. They're angry. The atmosphere must have been nasty. And the guy gets gloriously healed. So the atmosphere issue isn't an issue. Faith is the issue. And then how, finally, in the moment, how can I grow in confidence? And of course, as PJ said, the foundation is faith. You know, the genuine exercise of faith is a key component. And so how do we access faith? How do we help others in faith in those moments? Three quick points, gifts of the Spirit, authority, and the presence of God. Gifts of the Spirit, Hebrews 2, I mentioned it before. God testifies by signs, wonders, and gifts of the Spirit. And it seems to be rooted in his character. A supernatural God reveals himself in supernatural ways. Martin Luther said, let God be God. If we are trying to present a naturalistic version of Christianity in order to win our non-Christian friends, we will soon be exposed as fakes when our true beliefs of a supernatural God who raises the dead and who raised Christ from the dead will be discovered. And so uh, we need to be open to God acting and praying. The word of knowledge, I think, is helpful. And I'm, I'm comfortable personally with... Um, a definition of the word of knowledge being someone who's identifying a, a condition that someone may have. I, I don't have a big tussle about that uh, from Scripture anyway. It can be very helpful to just release faith. The main gift, though, for me is the gift of faith itself. This is the key one. The gift of faith, when you receive a gift of faith, what happens is that you know this is going to happen. It's just going to happen. And we exercise the gift of faith in various different ways, don't we? But when it comes to healing, and that's what Peter experienced. He just knew this was going to happen. There's another situation where Paul is looking at a guy. He, he can see that the guy has faith to be made well. And then he responds in faith as well. So there's both faith. With the healing of the beggar, his faith isn't mentioned at all. It's just Peter's faith. And then, wow, it happens. So sometimes the person being prayed for has no faith at all. I just wouldn't put that on them as a pressure. It's okay. But when you have a gift of faith, you just know this is going to happen. And I, I, I would encourage you to pray for the gift of faith. It's a real gift, and it really works. Uh, the gifts of healings as well is something a little larger. It 
it kind of is like an anointing to heal. And I've touched that a few different times in various meetings. But pray for the gifts of the Spirit to be functioning in you. When you get a success, take it on board. Don't just say, oh, that was an anomaly over there. That, that, you know, other people, it happens all the time. No, take it on board and let it be part of your ministry experience. God gave you, you know, a victory there. Secondly, authority. I have to be quick. Authority of Jesus himself. Grow in your awareness of the actual authority of Jesus Christ over all things. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Meditate on what that actually means. In uh, Philippians 3, it says the Lord Jesus Christ has power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Well, all things certainly includes illnesses, sicknesses, whatever, allergies, whatever. He has authority. He has power, and he can exercise that power. Secondly, the authority of the believer John Wimber is very good on this. Really, the only literature out there is by Kenneth Hagen, which is a challenge. We need to produce something that our folks can get hold of and say, oh, okay, I can grow in authority as a believer uh, without me getting kind of drawn into a whole system of different things that I'm thinking, how scriptural is this? Matthew 10, he called the disciples, he gave them authority. This actually happens. And um, so this is open to every disciple, but we grow in faith and experience. Sometimes, you know, a word comes for a a meeting, a specific meeting, which seems to go beyond that moment. I was doing a meeting in Harry Smith, and I was praying before the meeting. It was set up as a gospel thing, but we would pray for the sick. So I was preparing to pray for the sick, and I felt God say to me, if you stretch out your hand, I will stretch out my hand. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And as soon as... I felt that whisper of God. It was like, whoa, this is gonna, this is gonna, this is gonna take off. And sure enough, we had some wonderful healings. And that led me to do a study on Moses stretching things out. Because God said to him, stretch it out, stretch out the staff here. And then I did a study through, you know, the uh, uh, where is it? Exodus, I suppose, through Exodus. On, on Moses, what, how, did, how did the miracles happen in Moses' ministry? So look into these things. Look into these things. And maybe there'll be little clues for you. And I would encourage you to de- both develop and guard a history of promises with God in this area. You have to guard them because it's, the, it's one of the easy things for the devil to pick off very quickly. So you have to guard it. Treasure them. Always hold scripture higher. But... Hold on to what God's promised you. Do you pray or do you say? Do you ask or do you command? That's probably the main thing I got from my study in Mark. Jesus doesn't pray for people to be healed. He just goes after the sickness. I've got, two, I've got three dogs. One's a puppy, so it won't work for this illustration. But if the two larger dogs try and get in, I say, get out. And they do. Why? That's just so weird, isn't it? That if you say to a dog, out, you don't even have to say in the name of Jubilee, (laughs) out, they obey you because that's how God set it up. And God set it up so that he's given us authority. We grow in the measure of authority. We grow in our measure of faith. But I'm telling you, you, if you grow in authority, you will be able to speak to sicknesses. 
And they will, in fact, Jesus said, you'll be able to speak to this mountain and it will move if you've got faith the size of a mustard seed. And then lastly, and I won't really expand on this, the presence of God. You know, it can be helpful to share healing stories um, from your own experience. It can stir faith. But then you as a leader will at some point need to be bold without being presumptuous. And no one can give that to you. You have to step out in faith yourself. A bit like preaching the gospel and calling for a response if anyone wants to give their lives to Christ. Once you've done it once or twice, it begins, begins to be part of something that you're confident in and you grow. And it's the same uh, with, with healing. And then finally, I would just say as a caveat, my practice is always with those who are currently on medication to send them back to their doctor, much as you know, those who were healed were sent back to the priests in Scripture, I would encourage someone who's on medication not to stop their medication. It's not unbelief. You go back to the doctor who prescribed you that medication and let them re-diagnose you. And then you, you come off your medication. We're not doctors, so we don't need to worry about crossing. Well, we do need to worry about the crossing those lines, but we shouldn't cross those lines. So sometimes people say, right, I'm not going to take any of my medicine. No, go back to the doctor and let them say. Okay, do we want to do some questions? Does that provoke you? Does that annoy you? We've only got a few minutes for any questions. Yeah. Yes. Right. Great question. Jesus commanded sickness or he gro- uh, to go or, or demons to go uh, or he granted healing. Is there anywhere else in the Bible where people prayed? Yes. James 5 where it says the elders should pray and, and uh, it talks about this prayer of faith, healing the sick. And so I think there is an element of faith there as well. Um, so it is okay to pray, but I think Jesus, the, the bulk of Jesus' practice is that he rebuked sickness. And in my own experience, the vast majority of healings that I've seen have been in that. I, I, I'd like to get to the place where there's no pressure involved and I'm just granting people healing, but I, I'm, 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 not, I'm nowhere near there. But that's what Jesus did. I had a wonderful uh, statement from someone who was uh, healed of scoliosis with a curvature of the spine, two ruptured discs, and a swollen disc. He was instantly healed six years ago. I got a hold of him on Facebook, and I said, you know, you said in your email that you were healed of scoliosis. Is that, were you diagnosed with scoliosis? He said, yes. I said, well, how is it now? He's a French guy in property. He says, uh, I'm absolutely 100% healed. He said forever, which is obviously a mistake. Um, and then he says, I can even lift furnishers. <laughs> so I think we're growing in these things. It's not wrong to pray. But I think as I did a study of Jesus. Yeah, any other questions? Alex, you said that um, healing is often a validation of the word of God or something around that. So you're saying that the healing often validates what God is doing. And you get Matthew 7, where it's saying, Lord, we cast out demons in your name, we heal the sick, we did mm. mighty works. Mm. How, how, do we, how do you spot the differences there? So the thing that bugs me is that the cessationists do believe that miracles can happen, but they're demonic miracles. 
So the devil is allowed to do miracles, but God isn't allowed to do miracles? How did we get there? You know, so, so any, any claims of contemporary miracles in some of the books are kind of, with, even if they don't directly say it, it's kind of like a, a sign of the end times, the Antichrist and all of that. What I'm asserting is that God, what Paul calls demonstrations of the Spirit's power, I think if you grade that, you could go through from someone getting convicted of their sin or having revelation that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That's a demonstration of the Spirit's power through to someone being healed, through to, you know, any number of different things. The most important miracle, of course, is conversion, without a doubt, but you don't have to choose. And um, Paul, uh, what was the scripture you mentioned, Matthew 7, where, oh yeah, we've done miracles, in, many will say they've done miracles, yeah, so even, this is a scary thing, even doing Christian things doesn't necessarily mean you're a Christian. I put it into that category. So praying for people, you know, even seeing healings happen. There's a guy called Darren Brown who tried to debunk miracles by acting like a healer. There's a whole program on YouTube. And he does the kind of mechanics tries to get a meeting together in the States. No churches would, would back it, but there's about 30 people in the meeting. And at bus stops, they pretend that they're Christians praying for the sick. And people are saying, yeah, 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 you can pray. And they pray, and a couple of them seem to get healed. He's saying, see, it's bogus because I, the person praying, am not a Christian. I'm looking at that, and, and I'm thinking, Jesus has healed this person because they, in faith, were trusting him. So that's how you see it. But um, I think that's a warning against bogus Christianity. So I'd put that in a slightly different category. Our need is not to be so nervous that we're fake, that we don't do anything. Our need is to take the promises of Scripture and become more robust in believing them. Yeah, sorry, there was a question. Over. Just on the, uh, the issue of the elders being called to go and, and anoint with oil and, and just the tension of removing faith from the average believer um, and, and getting into a kind of methodology approach to healing. Do you know what I mean? That whole tension. Give me the question. Do you know that in James, it, it says if someone's sick, get the elders around to anoint mm. oil. Um, you know, as a pastor of a church, when is it appropriate for the elders to go around and anoint oil? And when is it appropriate for us to just expect their life group to pray for them? and see Oh, them? I think it's always appropriate. If someone's asked the elders to pray, then, yeah, we should How do you pray. avoid the tension of them constantly... In, like immediately turning to the elders rather than having a level of... Do you, do you know what I mean? Like if we're trying to impart sure. faith into our church, yet their default is to just phone the elders and I, say... Well, I get the pray. question, but my answer would be a gentle pushback. We need to get better at healing the sick as elders. So I think if we got better, if we grew in faith... So I'm, I'm very open at the end of meetings. People come up, they want the elders and wives to pray. That's totally fine. I don't think it creates... And either or, I think you do get occasionally folk in, in churches who feel like they have gone further in a certain type of ministry. It could be demonology or something like that. And, and that's something that you just have to work out with those individuals. 
Um, I'm not afraid of uh, this idea that it's, it's got to come through the pastors because of the kind of churches that we're building. I think we are definitely not saying this is only for elders. This is, this is for disciples. Anyone who believes in me will do the things that I have been doing, Jesus said in John 14. Have we got time for one more? Or a comment? Lex, you, um, yep. you encouraged us to ask for the gift of faith. And um, it, would you say that's something as you pursue it? Um, is it a gift that is momentary? You know, you kind of feel it come and go? Or something that you, you actually grow an ability to constantly experience? So I, I'm not putting myself out as the expert. So in my experience, I think the first time, I think I'd exercised the gift of faith without knowing it. The first time I really saw it actually was in South Africa. We were praying for lots of people in Lunga. Uh, this is in 87. And um, there was a couple of people praying for a lady, and they were struggling, and clearly she wasn't being healed. And I just, I just had faith. I just knew that if, and it sounds terrible, because there were two Christians praying for this lady, I knew that if I prayed for her and rebuked her back condition, she'd be healed. I just knew it. And so I just went over, and I didn't barge in. I, w- I went over, I waited till they finished, and then I prayed, and she was instantly healed. And, and then I, I went praying for the next person, and they were just double-checking how, what happened. What happened was the gift of faith. And I think that's the first time that I recognized, wow, this thing's actually tangible almost. And so it, doesn't, it shouldn't take us into weirdness, but let's believe God. Let's believe God. I think this is such a clear part of Christian ministry and missiology, that we'd be foolish. The, the largest growth that's happening globally is a, is a Christianity which seems to challenge the worldviews either of superstition or naturalism, and we want to try and stay biblical. So I'm trying to draw you back to Scripture, study Scripture, learn from there, and then go on a journey yourself. Amen?